0: Horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart,
1: racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us again for another edition of Winning Ponies. Things are starting to ratchet up a little bit on the Oaks and Derby Trail, so we're going to look at some points races with a good friend of mine, an excellent handicapper, award-winning writer, as a matter of fact, Eclipse Award-winning writer from the Blood Horse, and that would be Frank Angst. The races we're going to look at are uh, two. We're starting to enter into the the, the new realm of derby points, uh, where the first Uh, schedule of what they call the prep season had 10 points of which one race is the El Camino Real from Golden Gate. But then the Risen Star now we're into the championship series is a 50 point race. And the Rachel Alexandra from the fairgrounds is a 50 point race for the ladies to get in the Oaks. So it's starting to get a little bit serious. Uh, Frank and I are going to talk about this point system and the fact that it now involves uh, uh, European runners to boot, and not, meaning that they had to ship over here. They have their own series across the pond. And uh, so those are going to be the races we're going to look at. And then our first guest, Uh, Fresh from the National Handicapping Championship is uh, Keith Chamberlain, the Chief Operating Officer of the National Thoroughbred Racing Association, the NTRA. He started way back in 1999. Uh, He's implemented implemented a lot of the uh, very successful programs there, Uh, the first national direct mail promotion, uh horse players championship the nhc that just happened uh breeders cup program win and you're in and uh he put together a uh award-winning national advertising campaign in 2017 that was inducted into the cleo hall of fame he, he goes back uh, he cut his teeth as uh, as a marketing guy at hollywood park and then he uh, worked at remington park and uh I got to know him when he was a member of the editorial staff of the Blood Horse uh, back in the day. So uh, we'll maybe go down the alley a little bit and talk about that stuff. Uh, so Keith and Frank will be our guests. Don't forget – there's a lot of good racing going on right now. It's really starting to gear up old man winners just about behind us. The days are getting longer and the races are getting better. So you're going to want to, you know, pull down your, uh, your favorite, uh, method of looking at the races, whether it be the past performances, but either way, what you need to pull down is the easy win forms from winning ponies. That's right. WinningPonies.com. Pretty good. And, uh, they're all over the place. Of course, we went to the fairgrounds uh, last week, and uh, we'll be going there this week. And uh, we're looking at a $1 try that paid $2,609 uh, at Gulfstream <laughs> back on uh, – I should say back on. Back on this afternoon, we had a $1 Super 5 key that paid $4,907. We go pretty much everywhere in the eastern part of the state of Ohio. Mahoning Valley, a lot of value there. If you haven't played Mahoning, check it out. Uh, they get really full fields, albeit they're not all stakes horses. But if you're a gambling man, you like full fields, Mahoning Valley is the place to go. Two days ago, we had a 20-cent Super 5, 20-cent, that paid 2533 okay, I've told you before, and I'm telling you now, it's the easy win forms. You get a lot of value right there at winningponies.com. Well, uh, the championship, the new handicapper of horse player of the year, I believe is the title. Uh, Last week, we uh, talked to Ray Arsenault, the champion from Canada. He was going for the two time award and a bonus. And this year, the champion's from Canada, but it's Chris Littlemore, a retired auto worker from Whitby, Ontario, Canada. He pretty much, like Unique Bella, broke to the front and stayed there. He was never seriously threatened, so uh, he went on to an $800,000 payday. Of course, he gets to win the Eclipse Award as Horse Player of the Year, and he'll have that presented to him next year year um they had 702 entries and you know of course we we talked to Ray Arsenault and we looked at the uh roster of handicappers that were out there in las vegas it was absolutely amazing i mean some of the best handicappers in the world were there little more is uh 58 years old it'll be interesting to see uh you know what he does with all that money he said he didn't feel that confident uh, as the three-day leader Uh, i didn't like the card that much he didn't like the races he got lucky with a lot of chalk came in and kept him on top after he took his lead so uh congratulations to him and uh, in the second spot from deep in the heart of Texas, it was Keith Fenton of Fort Worth. All right. Now, this one was really a surprise to me, as it probably will be to a lot of people. Trainer Marty Wolfson has been ruled off at Gulfstream Park. Uh, he can't go on the property. Uh, the officials there are saying that he consistently failed to meet the financial obligations and the care that was given to his horses was substandard. So, general manager Billy Badgett uh, gave him his walking papers. Uh, he just said the horses weren't being taken care of properly. And that is very, very surprising to me. I mean, <clears throat> you think about Marty Wolfson. I mean, he's 66. But he really developed into a heck of a horseman. Uh, of course, he's from the Wolfson family that owned Triple Crown winner Affirmed. Uh, uh, Louis Wilson was was his father. Uh, he became a trainer in 1970. And think about this. He's won 87 graded races, uh, most notably the 2006 Breeders' Cup Mile with Miesk's approval. But Wolfson has won nearly 1,600 thoroughbred races. He has amassed 53 million dollars in purses with his horses since 1976. And um, that's the first time they started keeping stats. so it's probably uh, bigger than that. He uh, his best year was 2009. 4.3 million dollars with 67 winners. And uh, he's been based in South Florida throughout his whole career. He's been known as a high percentage trainer, high caliber stock, winning major races. And they're just citing personal reasons uh, for him not taking care of business as he should. So big surprise there with Marty Wolfson. Okay. Well, uh, in Northern Kentucky, if you know Turfway Park, if you've been there for a while you remember it when it was latonia well they're going to rewind the clock next weekend and they're going to call it latonia days and it's going to be friday and saturday uh, with latonia days two days of storytelling special guests memorabilia displays films photos and the great thing is the event's going to support the pdjf the permanently disabled jockeys fund uh, it sounds like it's going to be a great time chip box saying how proud he is of their history and they're going to put this together uh, there's going to be a dinner in the racing club on Friday. Uh, uh, Steve Cawthon is going to be there. And also, a guy that's been on this show a lot, uh, national racing analyst and former Turfway track announcer Mike Pataglia is going to be there. And then Jim Claypool, this guy knows everything about racing in Northern Kentucky. Uh, He's actually a consultant for the Smithsonian Institute on Equine Affairs. So there's also going to be old uh, (laughs) Turfway executives that'll be swapping stories. And the dinner is open to the public. So uh, if you're in that area, Southern Ohio, Northern Kentucky, you might want to check in. What's interesting is is Friday's feature race is the 75,000 John Batag memorial stakes uh, named after mike's father who was the general manager of latonia and uh so i uh, couldn't have timed out better for mike uh I'd like to get a chance to go see him again um This was a strange story. United Tote was targeted by an extortionist. We didn't know this because the name of the company uh, that the case was being brought against was not in any of the papers. Um, But the Louisville Courier-Journal finally got it and found out that Ethan Fay was a former employee of Churchill Downs Incorporated-owned United Tote. And uh, I guess uh, he ended up getting 15 months in prison. He's trying to extort after threatening to release the information of thousands of customers of Churchill Downs. All right. Let's take a look at some of last week's races. I name dropped Unique Bella earlier. The Santa Maria, nobody wanted to run against her. She came out of the gate not as, as quick as she could. $200,000 $200,000 of Santa Marita, grade two. But after that, it was all over. Mike Smith just let her cruise. And uh, he said pretty much he spent most of the race saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. And uh, she's a uh, four-year-old tap at Philly. filly. Uh, she's going to be something else. I mean, she was just clear on the final turn. And after that, it was just a public workout. Of course, she's trained by Jerry Let's take a look at some of the races we handicapped here on Winning Ponies last week. We did spend some time in Florida at Gulfstream Park. The only grade one of Saturday was the 33 running of the Gulfstream Park Turf. 300,000, heart-to-heart, finally gets his grade one. Seven-year-old son of English Channel, and yes, he is a son. He's not a gelding, was bet down to five to two. Remember, now, he was coming out of a head-scratching performance in the Fort Lauderdale. You just had to throw a line through that. Julian Le Peru got back in the saddle. They've had a lot of success together. Went wire to wire, but had to be game at the end because the Chad Brown trainee... Uh, Kurilov, in from Chile, was getting closer and closer at the wire, but heart-to-heart was able to hold on. It was another Southern Hemisphere horse that ran third in high, happy, and Argentinian bread. Again, the grade one Gulfstream Park turf. Then we went to Tampa Bay Downs, and the uh, Lambome South Endeavor Uh, This was a wire-to-wire effort at Tampa. Sent away at favorite, the Chalkmeisters likened this one 7-5. Donna Bruja, another Argentinian bred up in Florida, who just missed the track record going wire-to-wire in this grade 3 event. So Donna Bruja got the nod over La LaCurinal, who was bet down to even money. Uh, What's interesting is, is uh, Jose Lescano, like Cornell, tried coming from off the pace. If you look at most of her races, she does her best running on the front end, but uh, didn't do it in the Endeavor on Saturday. In the third spot on the inside, it was truly together. Then at uh, at Tampa Bay, it was the Sam Davis. Horses looking for a shot in the uh, Derby going to get some points in the Sam Davis upset time. It looked like Catholic boy, the three to five favorite was just going to sweep by him turning for home. Now it was his, uh, 2018 debut. Uh, he was sitting pretty after being rated and, uh, just all of a sudden took the lead from flame away, a Mark Cassie trainee, another Canadian bred, And, uh, that scat daddy, Colt came back. He was strong at 10 to 1, paid twenty two sixty. Catholic Boy was second. Now, uh, Flame Away did have a race under his belt, and it was at Gulfstream Park, but it was on the turf at seven furlongs. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how Jonathan Thomas regroups with Catholic Boy. Again, that was the Sam Davis. The third spot was Vino Rosso. A uh, Todd Pletcher trainee with Johnny V in the saddle who came into the race undefeated off a maiden and an optional claimer. Well, that's a look at uh, the main races and news uh, from this week on the national racing scene. Again, uh, at the bottom of the hour. Uh, we're going to have Frank Anks from the Blood Horse talking to us about uh, some of the derby prep races and kind of the point system. And then we're going to look at uh, a few races from the fairgrounds and Golden Gate Fields. But before that, we're going to have the COO of the NTRA. I know that's a lot of initials, but that's going to be Keith Chamberlain, who's going to be joining us. I'm John Engelhart, and you're listening to Winning Ponies.
0: Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart.
1: All right, and with me, as I told you, we got the Chief Operating Officer of the NTRA with us. Uh, Keith Cham- Chamblin we go back a long way I'm gonna ask him if he remembers the trip he took to New Orleans when I was the publicity director down there uh, Louis Roussel was there I believe that was right around uh, the risen star era but uh, right now he's fresh off his trip to uh, Las Vegas with a national handicapping championship uh, and uh, so again we might do a little time traveling we got a little time delay here so bear with us if it happens Keith, can you hear me?
3: I can hear you, John. And I do remember Risen Star. What a racehorse.
1: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. He was
3: one
1: of the very best. He was. Well, I think that's when you came down. Uh, You were doing a story for the Blood Horse at the time. You were writing for them. And I took you back to Louis' Barn. And I think Ronnie Lamarck was there. As a matter of fact, uh, Lamarck Ford is sponsoring the Risen Star this weekend. (laughs)
3: And he's probably still singing songs. Uh, That was an amazing run they had. And of course, uh, uh, great story coming out of New Orleans. And uh, those were exciting times for the fairgrounds. And, uh, um, you know, Louis, you know, quite a horseman when he's when he's got a talented horse in his hands, he knows how to care for him and get him ready for the big races.
1: Yeah, I do believe he crossed the $1,000 mark not too long ago. Well, uh, Keith Chamberlain from the NTRA, I do believe you were out there in Vegas. Can you kind of paint the picture of uh, the uh, prestigious handicapping tournament, the National Horse Players Championship, which I believe you had a lot to do with it getting off the ground initially?
3: Well, I did with a lot of other people, but uh, it's been – very gratifying. I've been there for all 19 of them, and I've seen it grow from a purse the first year of uh, $215,000 and about 140 uh, players to uh, a record purse this year of just shy of $3 million and and uh, 703 entries of record field. Uh, it's growing every single year and just continues to grow in popularity, and If you're a horse player, there's just no better event, no better weekend in America. And I say that with all due respect to the Breeders' Cup and the Triple Crown. But if you're a horse player, this is a weekend for you where you are the star of the show. And uh, we celebrate horse players. They come from throughout North America. In fact, we had one this year come all the way from New Zealand had finished just out of the top ten percent. The top ten percent were seventy, the top seventy. He finished seventy first. He missed the money line by uh, by one uh, one position. Uh, but it's just a terrific event and um, gets better and better every year. And like I said, if you're if you love horse racing, um, whether you're a track operator or a horse player, or, or a horseman for that matter, you should come out and visit the NHC at least one time. And if you're a horse player, you should try to play in it every year.
1: Well, I wish that I'd be lucky enough or smart enough to qualify some year, but you have had a lot of friends uh, uh, compete in it. This year, it was Chris Littlemore, second year in a row, uh, that uh, gentleman from Canada uh, was, uh, took the top spot, Horse Player of the Year. He's going to win the Eclipse Award. We did have Ray Arsenault on the show last week. Uh, Keith, I think you just uh, got to work a little bit on asking Mr. Littlemore if he could smile for those photos.
3: <laughs> I think he was overwhelmed by the moment. Uh, he uh, He's pretty low-key and soft-spoken, but I think he'll be a good um, a, a good representative uh, for horse players. And uh, obviously, he's one hell of a handicapper. He handicapped 53, 53 races over three days that he had to pick. And, of course, finished with nearly $350 in his bankroll, making $2.00. Win place wagers over those fifty three races, so uh, and really won it won it pretty easily. Um, He was ahead uh, by about thirty bucks going into the final table, and I think he finished. I don't have the results right in front of me, but I bet I had about a twenty dollar pad. So while he could have been caught, um, it would have been difficult. It would have taken quite a, a good priced horse to catch him, and he just he was on cruise control there at the end of the tournament. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you that he's the third Canadian joining uh, Ray Arsenal last year and Brian Troop about 10 years ago uh, who are from uh, outside of Toronto who have taken down the, the top prize. And uh, I think there's some horse players who after this past weekend think maybe we ought to build the wall on the northern border not the southern border, and keep the horse players out of the U.S. So uh, we'll, we'll see, but they are, they are tough at the NHC every year.
1: Well, you, you know, uh, horse players uh, can be an odd breed, and they can be a fun bunch. I enjoyed looking at the photos up on the NTRA site. Uh, would, you, would you say in general uh, the atmosphere uh, is one of camaraderie rather than competition?
3: Well I think it's it's a combination of the two. It's definitely a uh, a celebration of uh, of horse players uh, com a great deal of uh social activities. there's a great deal of camaraderie because you know we have um, we have a couple hundred players who um who qualify almost every year um, but we also had this year a record number of first time qualifiers. We had one hundred ninety five. Uh, rookie NHC qualifiers, and um, that's a phenomenal number. And I'm happy to say that the, the veterans kind of greeted the newcomers uh, with open arms, and it really is a, a, a very much a, a celebratory mood because it's so difficult just to get to the NHC because you can't buy your way in. You have to earn a berth, which means you've already won just to get there. And then you couple that with being able to play – In a three, nearly three million dollar championship, with um, you know eight hundred thousand dollars on the line to first place, plus an Eclipse Award, Um, the the winner will play for uh, Chris Littlemore will play for a three, uh, uh, excuse me, a two million dollar, three million dollar bonus at the Breeders Cup Betting Challenge if you were to take down that. So um, just um, there's you know it's tense because there's a lot of money on the line. But it's also a celebration and um, a, just a great, great atmosphere. And um, I would say that um, uh, it, it's um, uh, it's a celebratory mood up until about midway through day two, when you get close to that cut line for the top 10% to determine who's going to move on and play for big money, things, things get pretty serious towards the end of uh, – Saturday afternoon and then again on Sunday morning when uh, when the final 70 played to get into the final table while another uh, 600 players, participants more than 600 uh, played in a free roll $50,000 consolation. So um, there's some tense moments but also um, very celebratory and everybody's having a lot of fun.
1: Well, you know, Keith, uh, I was a uh... Back in the day, uh, the track I worked at, we were online with the NTRA when it was uh, primarily kind of a marketing tool, Uh, and you guys have really evolved. I mean, what you've done legislatively this year for both the betting industry and the breeding industry uh, has to bring you a great sense of accomplishment.
3: Well, it it does, and particularly... um the, uh, the fact, you know, we were able to get these um, withholding and reporting regulations modernized, which is such a boon to not only horse players, but really all segments of the industry, because it drives handle and churn, which results in additional track commissions and additional purse money for owners and breeders. So, you know, it's just very few of those things in our industry that can be wins, all segments of the industry and that's what the uh, withholding and the modernization of the withholding and reporting regulations that you're referring to um, turned out to be and then recently we've had some uh, success with uh, some uh, breeding uh, incentives for breeders of racehorse owners and breeders of racehorses and then in between that we were able to um Uh, through some work with um, Congressman Andy Barr from the uh, 6th District here uh, in the Lexington area of Kentucky, we were able to um, uh, educate some banks who weren't accepting credit cards for um, advanced deposit wagering transactions to uh, change their tune. And the first to fall was Chase Bank J.P. Morgan Chase, which is uh, the largest bank in the United States with about 80 million credit card holders. And um, they're now accepting uh, credit card transactions for ADW uh, play. And um, that's great for our industry. I'm not sure how good it's going to be for my pocketbook, but it's great (laughs) for our industry. And um, um, I can tell you this, we're not done yet. We're working with Bank of America, Capital One, and Wells Fargo, and we're hopeful – that in the very near future they'll follow Chase's lead, and if they do, that'll represent about 40 percent of the U.S. credit card market. And um, you know anybody who understands our game can understand what opening up that w- that percentage of the credit card market would mean uh, in terms of additional handle and churn for our sport. So. Uh, we've had some recent successes, but we're by no, by no means are we done yet.
1: No, well, it's been a yeoman's effort. I, I applaud uh, your efforts and all of those are the people that have uh, helped us here on the racing side. And, uh, Keith, I want to thank you so much for taking the time uh, uh, to be here with us tonight. And uh, just keep fighting the good fight.
3: Thank you, John. And we're going to get you out to Las Vegas one of these days for the NHC.
1: Uh, A lot of people have been trying to. If I could hone my handicapping skills a little better, perhaps I can. Hey, I've only got a few seconds left. But who won the celebrity challenge?
3: That was won by Ed DeRosa from Brisnet, and um, Ed actually donated his twenty-five hundred dollars to the Cincinnati chapter of the Ronald McDonald House, where uh, his child spent. uh, He and his wife spent about six months there when their child was born and was hospitalized with some ailments. So um, he was uh, very gracious, and then we also raised $7,500 for the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. So that was a lot of fun as well.
1: That's great, and I do remember when Ed was up in Cincinnati, you know, I work in the area, and uh, he just said there wasn't a better place in the world than Cincinnati uh, Children's Hospital, and they are recognized as one of the uh, top in the country, and every time he comes on the show to do a little handicapping with us, I always check in, he says, my boy's doing just fine, John, thanks for asking, so that's, that's great that's that he did that, and
3: I think it's great.
1: It's great that you joined us here on the show tonight on Winning Ponies. We've been talking with Keith Chamblin from the NTRA. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking some derby preps and some of the tools we use to get there through the leaderboard system with Frank Angs from the Blood Horse. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What?
1: All right. And uh, since we're on the number one internet provider of talk, I got a great guy to talk with right now, Frank Angst from The Blood Horse. Uh, He's part of an Eclipse Award winning team that put together Waiting and Waiting for Crowning Glory, a generation repeatedly denied the triple crown. Uh, Looks like. They're looking to California Chrome. Ironically, uh, he, he got that Eclipse Award a year before he couldn't write the story anymore because <laughs> – uh we they, wrote it they, just in time. Uh, yeah, exactly, because American Pharaoh actually did it. But, you know, it just goes to stamp, and, you know, I'll digress here for a minute, uh, just how hard – and you stated this, of course, in your story about, you know, the, the, the different training methods and uh, di- different things that went into the fact that it's just so difficult and how many horses came so close to winning the Triple Crown. But I was so happy, Frank, to see American Pharaoh win the Triple Crown to just put all those people back in the closet that were coming out, talking about changing the schedule, changing the distance, you know, uh, it, right. I would, the, the whole idea is it's it's not easy to do, and that's why you are stamped with the great horses by accomplishing that feat.
4: Yeah, it's to, to find that rarest of horse uh, that can perform at a high level at a distance and do it three times in five weeks. So that's the challenge, and uh, there's not a lot that can do it, but there's certainly... A lot of great. Just because a horse doesn't do it every year, that there's plenty of horses to celebrate that uh that, that win win the classics each year. So, so I think it's fine, and uh, you keep the Triple Crown rare, and it, it becomes a, a true accomplishment. It's one of those things you don't have to explain to anyone. I, I think I remember somebody saying, "How would you categorize American Pharoah?" And I said, "Well, he's a Triple Crown winner." I mean, that, that says it all. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Exactly. You know, and and on the other hand, you know, uh, a he showed it's not an impossible task. But you pointed out in your Eclipse Award winning story how many came so close to doing it. So it wasn't something that, you know, it wasn't somebody that couldn't grab the ring. It was just different situations kept different horses from getting the triple Crown.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it, it's a little bit more difficult today. Um, for one thing, one of the biggest reasons why is because you have you tend to have fuller fields in all these races. Uh, there are some Triple Crown winners um, from the past that didn't save so many horses, especially like in the Belmont. Um, but now the the tradition is, uh, the new tradition, if you will, is to, to race your horses in these big classic races and uh, people take their shots.
1: Yeah, and, you know, referring to the horses that came uh, so close and came up a little short in the Belmont, you also have late developing horses, and you also have uh, trainers that don't um, exert the energy in the Derby and the Preakness that come into that mile-and-a-half race with a really fresh horse.
4: Yeah, and people have always done that, and they've always been allowed to do that, and uh, that's part of the challenge. uh, So. Yeah, it's, it's what makes it so special is potentially you have to beat a fresh horse.
1: Absolutely. Well, uh, again, I know it was uh, three years ago, but a tip of the cap to a, a uh, an Eclipse Award-winning writer. Well, uh, Frank, we talked uh, oh a day or so ago about the process of, of getting in, in the the Derby. I will be honest with you. When the point system first came out, and it's now for both the Oaks and the Derby, I was kind of a naysayer. Now I do understand that I didn't want to favor some horse that won, uh, you know, a million-dollar race at Delta Downs and got all these points, and then maybe wasn't a good three-year-old. But I just thought that it might be controlled. By Churchill Downs deciding what races get what points, and I was a little skeptical of that. But really, since it's come into play, I've got to admit the horses that end up in the starting gate for the Oaks and the Derby would have got there anyhow. They're all legit, and mm-hmm. they got there because they won those big races.
4: And I think it, I think the point system in the first five years has definitely. I mean, it, like you said, most of the horses would have been there anyway. But the, the two areas I think that it's tweaked just a bit is it definitely rewards recency. Um, if you won your race back as a two-year-old, you're just not going to get as many points for that. That guarantees you nothing unless you can show show some of that again at three, closer to the derby itself. And then the sprint races um, no longer are in that. I mean, when the sprint well, it was graded stakes earnings. A sprint race with great at that with graded stakes status could give you um, could put you in the Derby field, but that's no longer the case because there's sprint races. That, um, there's no sprint races at three. The races at two are not so much sprints as they are horses developing in races like the Futurity and what have.
1: But but it, it is interesting. I believe uh, Steve Hanskin uh, alluded to it. He's like you know. Some of those old-time trainers used to like like to start out at seven furlongs to kind of mm-hmm. gear their horse up and, and get that juice going and get some speed going. And a lot of those horses that won early-season sprints went on to win the Kentucky Derby.
4: Yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, with, with trainers uh, not starting their top horses as many times, and there's only so many opportunities for points, you don't really have the opportunity necessarily to do that as much. I mean, you can do it, I suppose, but you definitely better be ready for that when those points races hit to, to get to make sure that your horse runs well and earns those points. Well, I, th- I believe the swale stakes would be a
1: good example.
4: Yeah, I mean, you look back, like, Trinneberg uh, – the last year before the, when, the last year that they did great at stakes, Trinneberg got in with wins in the Swale and the Bayshore two sprints. He went in there and uh, ran fast early, kind of pressed the pace with Bodemeister there. Bodemeister, incredibly, went on. We we know how good he is. He was and how how good he's been as a stallion as well. And uh, anyway, Trinneberg, of course, came back later in the year to win the Breeders Cup Sprint, so he certainly was a quality horse. Uh, but he was more of a sprinter for sure. He he faded uh, to far back, to, I think, second last, but I know well off the board. <laughs> I,
1: I, I do remember, that this is one of my favorite quotes, you, you know how Watchmaker and Prismant go back, for, back and forth in the Daily Racing Forum on their road to the Kentucky right. Derby. <laughs> uh, Watchmaker's comment about Trinnenberg was, this horse couldn't win the Kentucky Derby if they gave him a shortcut across the infield.
4: <laughs> oh, <my goodness>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and he did set the pace for for a while, anyhow. Well, uh, uh, I, I guess we'll we'll concentrate our handicap and uh, a little bit more in the second segment. But uh, uh, I wanted to uh, to ask you about the. Implementation of points races in other countries.
4: What you're yeah, reading. Last year, um, last year Churchill Downs added a point series in Japan, um, and the, the, the winner of that series uh, didn't take them up on it. Um, but it got opportunities there again, and uh, this year they added a point series in Europe. And this point series, interestingly enough, this, these are not the, the top level huge grass races that they have over uh, in England and Ireland. Those actually start later in the year anyway. But these are the all-weather surface races that they have over there. Uh, so, of course, horse potentially we could have two spots filled from those series. Those uh, point series are separate from the U.S. points. So whoever finishes the top each one of those point races, one in Japan and one in Europe, Uh, They have the option of uh, claiming that spot and racing in the Derby.
1: Well, I know a horse that went on to bigger and better things, but he had uh, a terrible day on the first Saturday in May. Was uh, refresh my memory, Snow something? Thunder Snow. Thunder
4: Thunder snow. Snow last year.
1: Yeah, who, uh, you know, came out, you know, I don't know if it was the crowd or, you know, the change of scenery or whatever, and came out bucking and jumping. Luckily, they got him off the track without incident. But he has since proven that his form is for real. He wasn't some kind of freak that just wants a big race in Europe.
4: Yeah, and it looks like we'll probably see him in the Dubai World Cup this year. He's done well in Dubai racing on dirt this season. Um, and, And he qualified through the UAE Derby last year, which that race is the one foreign race that's part of the US point system. So the winner of that race, his points actually or her potentially, but they, those points count uh, toward the US Derby points. So he um, and it's a hundred point race, a hundred points to the winner, I should say. So if you win that race and you want to come to the Derby, you you are most assuredly have a spot. Yeah,
1: pretty much so. Uh... And, you know, I, I I don't think it's forced anybody to do anything they didn't want to do, but it certainly keeps guys from keeping in their horses in the barn and, keep, and treating them like a hothouse rose up until Derby Day.
4: Yeah, it does force you to, you can no longer just uh, rely on a big race or two as a two-year-old and then and then just kind of show up. You definitely have to have some productive starts uh, as a three-year-old and earn your way in there. Uh, interestingly enough, since they've gone to the point system, we've seen five straight winning favorites, which is just incredible. As, uh, you and I remember that era of <laughs> it was one favorite, and I don't know how many years. Was it 28 right. or something? It was a ridiculous number of years, right And it was so long that uh, we weren't seeing favorites, now to see five in a row, I guess the worm has turned. Well, again, it says something about horses
1: that are formful coming into that first Saturday in May. I think there's,
4: oh, yeah, I definitely think the point system has contributed to that. Um, That's not to say that we couldn't see a 50 to one shot win this year, but I do think uh, when you have horses in form and some of those sprinters aren't coming in to uh, jack up the pace anymore, I I think those are two factors that have contributed to that run of favorites doing so well
1: all right folks you're listening to frank angst from the blood horse magazine formerly of the thoroughbred times he worked with a good crew back there uh, my good buddy tom law was one of his compatriots but anyhow frank's now with the blood horse we're going to take a quick break here on winning ponies and we come back we're going to break down three points races two of them for the derby and one of them for the oaks you're listening to winning ponies
0: The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart
1: All right, and again, I hope you've been listening. We're with Frank Angst from the Blood Horse magazine. Actually, it's not too early to start talking about the Derby and Oaks. We just covered a a major topic, and that was the impact of the leaderboard and what it's had on on those two races, which uh, has turned out to be a good thing. Right now, we're going to go. Let's go out to California first, Frank, and uh, uh, take a look at the – El Camino Real, I think they call it, Derby. Now, what's <laughs> interesting is, is this race is they cut the person half. It's down to 100,000. It's no longer a grade three. This race was run at Bay Meadows until that track closed in 2008, but it's got some history to it. I mean, winners include right. uh, Preakness and Belmont uh, uh, winner Tabasco. 94 uh you got tanks prospect who won the preakness in 85 snow chief in 86 and then a couple runner up horses in the derby casualize in 92 and uh cabin air in 96 so it's you know the, the race is legitimate last year it only drew seven this year it drew more even though the purse is less and uh Kind of an interesting field since a lot of them uh, have raced against each other before uh, in the California Derby.
4: And I like that there's still an opportunity for horses that are maybe have some turf pedigree or turf success uh, to try their luck on, on the synthetic surfaces. They, they could uh, very much conceivably uh, do well in this race and then ship to uh, Turfway for the now Jeff Ruby stakes uh, so there's an opportunity there to kind of get some points on the synthetic surfaces before you try to dirt at Churchill now.
1: Well, Animal Kingdom did it, and, uh, you know, he exactly. came away with his derby win coming out of the the, the the prep race that's always been known as the spiral in one way, shape, or form. Uh, but this race is interesting. I mean, there's only one horse that's currently nominated the Triple Crown, and that's Choo Choo. And look at these connections. Calumet Farm Homebred. Obviously, Sire's English Channel, so you know why the horse has been racing on the turf, but enjoyed this synthetic. is one for one at Gold Gate. And how about this? Jerry Hollendorfer is going for his seventh win in this race, Frank.
4: Wow. I mean, he's definitely been the dominant trainer at Golden Gate Fields. So uh, the, the success he's had there over the years has been amazing.
1: So it it, it definitely looks like the bullet's on his back. I noticed that uh, uh, local rider uh, J.J. Hernandez uh, has taken off uh, another contender uh, to to ride with uh, Choo Choo. I'm sure he'd love the chance to uh, ride this horse right onto the Kentucky Derby Trail. Um, But then you got Doug O'Neill. You know how sneaky he is. He's coming in with another horse that's been racing on the turf, and I believe that Golden Gate is Tapetta, so uh, it, it is a synthetic surface, one of the few tracks in North America that still has it. And, uh, you know, this horse has showed some talent and, uh, you know, can't, can't throw him out and certainly can't throw out the Mike McCarthy-trained paved has done nothing but race on the turf, but I noticed mm-hmm. that this horse's speed figures have gotten better every single start. I still think Choo choose yeah. the one to beat, but those two horses have legitimate credentials.
4: And, and the horse that I was really looking at is City Plan. Um, I mean, the horse, you couldn't ask for any more breeding than what he has. Street Sense out of an ap mayor so stretching out here only figures to help this horse. The one time that he raced at Golden Gate on the synthetic, he won. That was a stakes race. He won in his second start, which I always like to see a horse win early, first or second start preferably. And for him, that was when he stretched out to a mile. So if you just ignore the two dirt races, you're looking at, you know, if you just look at the, you know, ignore the other two dirt races, which were both uh, graded stakes, um, he's got a maiden win at a mile, and he has... A stakes win at a mile on this surface, and uh, I think the distance is only going to help him. Uh, so I, I think that's a real live horse. Center.
1: Well, I want our listeners to know the city plan that Frank's talking about. He's a Godolphin homebred. You don't see too many of those going off at 15-1. to Uh, He he may be worth a dollar or two uh, as your long shot player to keep him in your exotics here. Uh, But what I like about Choo Choo, Frank, is, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, these younger horses that show the ability to rate. Uh, He did last year, and he was very impressive in the California
4: Derby. Of course, yeah. I mean... That says so much about a young horse when they're able to do that. It just creates so many more options of what they can do within a race. So, yeah, I mean, I saw that horse race um this cup weekend. They started on the Del Mar Turf, and, uh, yes, nice horse for sure.
1: All right. Well, that is the El Camino Real at Golden Gate. That's only 10 points, but now we are moving in, in with the big boys. Uh, I only got four minutes, so we'll do two minutes per race. We're looking at the championship series, 50 points each. Let's continue with the boys. Uh, the Risen Star, presented by none other than Lamarck uh, Ford. Ronnie Lamarck, <laughs> I believe, was part owner of Risen Star. The top three finishers the LeCompter coming out of here. Who caught your eye? Obviously, we've been talking about Jerry Hollendorfer out at Golden Gate man, he shipped into the fairgrounds and instilled regard, was awesome, while not the favorite yeah. over uh, Prince P. Guilherme, if I'm saying that right, who may have had an excuse because he was bumped in that race. Um, who comes to the top for you?
4: I mean, instilled regard, I, there's nothing that I can not The horse just dominated that race. Uh, if you're playing horizontals or what have you, there's no way I would leave him out. Uh, I'm being a little bit stubborn with snapper, Sinclair. I, um, I just really like that race. He ran at Kentucky Downs. I'm well aware that was on the turf. But it, I, I just saw talent and the fact that Steve asked me, he thinks there's something on dirt, some possibilities on dirt? I uh, that gives me some confidence. He just ran uh, third in, still to regard at, in the comp. And I kind of like that he's getting a second start over the same surface. I'm going to give him one more chance as well, because I, I think there's some talent there.
1: All right. Well, I got two upsetters in here. Supreme Aura, undefeated, coming from Mike Stidham Barn. You know, he stables down there at yeah. the fairgrounds. The question is can he stretch out from two back to back six furlong impressive races with he's speed definitely
4: figures? Steady progress that you love to see in a young horse. So he, he, he's definitely a horse to look out for, for sure.
1: My other upsetter is trained by Hall of Famers. D. Wayne Lucas, ridden by Hall of Famer Gary Stevens, and it's a horse that uh, prepped at Oak Lawn, just got up by a neck in an optional climber, but it was an 89 buyer, and uh, Gary Stevens is coming into
4: town to ride. Wow. Yeah, I mean, Wayne definitely races his horses, and and, uh, Gary rode this horse so well the first time, they, they hooked up and they won immediately, so that's encouraging as well.
1: All right, Frank Angst from the Blood Horse. Uh, my producers tell me we only got a minute left. I oh, got long-winded again. We're looking at the Rachel Alexander, grade 2, 200,000. 50 points to the Oaks. Obviously, Manamoy Girl and Wonder Godot raised at the top in here.
4: Yeah, they definitely look like, look like the standouts. I'm, I'm going to give Heavenly Love one more chance. I mean, she definitely impressed last year at Keeneland and uh, maybe has had some excuses. I thought the track was a little bit against her at Del Mar. Not sure what happened last time. You have to be a little forgiving on that race. The other horse I definitely see moving in the right direction at a price is She's a Julie, Another Steve Askinson horse that got into some trouble last time but still finished strongly, and there's quite a bit of speed in here that might set set up a nice run from her late.
1: All right. Well, we've been talking with Frank Angst from The Blood Horse. I hope you read him and go up on the website. Frank, I want to thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I'm sure our paths will cross somewhere in Kentucky in the near future.
4: Sounds great, Tom. Thanks so much.
1: All right. That was Frank Angst. I want to thank Keith Chamberlain, and I also want to thank our new producer, a-Rod, that's right. He takes time out of his busy schedule and the girlfriend's to stop by here at Winning Ponies. Join us next week. Tell your friends to listen to the show on podcast if they missed it. So uh, for everybody out there, remember, when you come to the races, bet with your head, not over it.